But I'm excited, y'all. I see you guys subscribing. That's awesome. That's great. I'm excited. I love it. Um, so today we are in, as you guys know, we're journeying through the scriptures. We've been journeying from Genesis, um, and now we're all the way in the book of Jeremiah. Okay. <clears throat> and we have journeyed not only through a large portion of the Old Testament, but thank you so much, Adam. Um, but we journeyed through the New Testament from from uh, Matthew all the way to Revelation. And then we went to the Old Testament, went through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. Then we went to Psalms, we went to Proverbs, then we went to Song of Songs, we read through Isaiah, and now we're reading through Jeremiah. And, and I hope what's happened here as we've journeyed in this together, which I'm sure many of you have journeyed with me through that text is, is that you're beginning to see the broader narrative, the bigger picture of what God is doing. And you're also seeing a bigger picture. And I know we're going just surface level here because this isn't a Bible study. This is just a Bible reading, but I believe that simply being exposed to the totality to totality of the text gives you a perspective now that brings cohesiveness through the entire text. I'll say this, and then we're going to get to reading. And I'm not going to really spend a lot of time reading today. As you guys know, I have to leave a little bit earlier. But I will say this, is rather than thinking of the Bible as a book, you should look at the Bible as a curated collection of writings. It's a curated collection of writings, and it's curated with intentionality. There's an intentionality to the curation of these writings because they're curated to point to a truth, to point to the truth. And so when sometimes we read it, sometimes people read it in a, you know, a very systematic way, not reading it as, wait, there's some intelligence behind it that curates it this way in order to bring revelation to the truth. So when we read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, understand that you're reading a set of books. Now, those would seem more chronological. Absolutely. You would say that those are chronological in themselves. But then when you read through a book like Jeremiah, which we've been reading through, you have to understand that Jeremiah is not written, you know, after, you know, we sometimes read Jeremiah and we think that's happening chronologically after Ezra or after Nehemiah that we read earlier, not realizing that it's when you read, you know, first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles that now you go back and see that Jeremiah is a priestly prophetic um, revelation of what had transpired in that moment, what had transpired in that text. So it's important for us to not read it in that way, but to read it in a way where this is organized as a collection of writings. Now, Jeremiah is really brought together and collected after the fact. I'm just bringing all this up so that way you guys see where I'm at. But Jeremiah is curated, is a curated set of uh, Jeremiah's sayings, Jeremiah's sermons, Jeremiah's thoughts and revelations. And they're written, some of it is written in poetic form. Some of it is written in prophetic prose. Some of it is written in um, um, from, a, from a historical perspective. And the one who curates it and puts it together, right? And we'll get to that eventually as we read through Jeremiah. We'll see how it was curated. But Jeremiah is written and put together. It was written during, but it was put together after. And so now we're seeing the perspective, the prophetic perspective of Jeremiah in the midst of Israel who's now fallen into captivity as a result of their backsliding. And so Israel has backslidden and Israel now needs guidance. And I believe that even as we speak about Israel from a corporate or communal perspective, it's important for us to also see our church and to see our people today from that perspective. Um, 
to say, how did God deal with Israel and how is God dealing with us now? And so anyway, these are things that I want you to be thinking about as you read through the text. But I want you to, I want to make sure everybody has the proper perspective when you're reading, because again, I know you're reading Jeremiah. This is not just a co, this is not just a book that was written. It was a curated, um, it was, it, it was, it's a curated collection of Jeremiah's revelatory words to bring light to what Israel was experiencing in consequence to their, um, um, to their disobedience, what Jeremiah calls in his in his writing the harlotry of Israel. And so today, let's just read for a few moments. And I'm really praying that you'd be encouraged by this. I know this is sort of that was almost Bible study ish. Um, you know, this isn't a Bible study, y'all. This is a Bible reading. We're just reading the text and just asking the Lord to reveal His truth through to, to us. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. And to read from that posture, I want you to simply, man, thank you guys. All of you guys right now who are becoming um, subscribers right now, thank you. Just want to throw that out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Starfield. Thank you guys for, for doing it. Thank you guys for supporting. Um, it is your support that makes all this real. And it's really encouraging to see that you guys are supporting what we do, what we continue to endeavor to do. Just click the star next to my name. And you'll be able to also become a subscriber as well. And I'm looking forward to the things that we can do together um, and things that I want to do with subscribers. And so we're working through all of that, but I'm really, really excited about that. So with that being said, we're going to ask three questions. The first question we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. The second question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? That's it. And we're just going to read through it. Um, and like I said to you before, don't take anything I say. Just take what the text says. Amen. Let's do it. Father, I thank you today, Lord, as we engage in your word, Father, I pray that you would speak to each and every person in this chat. Lord, I Pray that you would speak to us all today, Lord, through your word. I pray for your revelation. I pray for your guidance. I pray for your um, comfort, for your encouragement. Lord, let us find refuge, help, and strength in you today as we read your word. Let the word that we eat today be the joy and rejoicing of our heart. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Men. Let's do it. Jeremiah 17, and it says this. The sin of Judah is written with the pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of your altars. While their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give as a plunder your wealth all your treasures and your high places of sin within all your borders. And you, even yourself, shall let go of your heritage, which I gave you. And I will cause you to serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you have kindled a fire in my anger, which shall burn forever. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when a good comes, but shall inherit the parched places in the wilderness in the salt land, which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. And they will not fear when the heat comes but its leaf will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. 
As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary, O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Indeed, they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what came out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. Let me be. Let them be ashamed who persecute me, but do not let me be put to shame. Let them be dismayed, but do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them in with double destruction. The Lord said to me, go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your house on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day, as I command your fathers, but they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of the city, on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of the city, kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin from the lowland, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the places of Jerusalem. It shall not be quenched. I'm not afforded the time on that, but we'll talk a little bit about that. Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's house, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would benefit that which I said I would benefit it. Verse 11. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your way 
of your doings good. And they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask now among the Gentiles who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? Because my people have forgotten me. They have burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their way from ancient past, to walk in the pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate in a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the days of their calamity. Then they said, Come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priests, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us attack him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? for they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. Therefore, deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the word. Let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let them let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the word in battle. Sorry, by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you bring a troop suddenly from them. For they have dug a pit to take me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight. But let them, let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. I'm going to stop right there. Thank you to all of you who have become subscribers. You can just click the star next to my name, subscribe. I look forward to continuing and doing Bible study. This isn't a Bible study. Um, this is a Bible reading. The temptation that, of course, a guy like me faces when I read this is because there's so many things that the Lord is working in my heart right now, even as I read it. So many things that God is really speaking into me this morning. And sometimes, as you guys know, this is the read and rant. I read and then I rant. I'm just, you know, sharing um, the thoughts and the things that the Lord is imparting upon me today as I'm reading this text. But I'm here and I'm reading it and I'm like, wait, I need to share this. But then to share it, <laughs> I would need to back up for a minute and give you some context. Today we read Jeremiah 17. And 18. And if you notice here, uh, there, the, the text is beginning to shift directions. We've seen a Jeremiah up to this point who uh, he presents his lamentations before God, but at the same time, he has spoken with bold, a bold prophetic tongue. Jeremiah, as we talked about uh, yesterday, he's a man who he loved the people who he served. He has a priestly heart. But the moment required him to be a prophet. He was a priest at heart. But the moment demanded him to be a prophet. The Lord even called him to fulfill that role. Reminding him that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I already knew you. God was already setting him aside to be the prophet who would speak the truth to the children of Israel concerning what Jeremiah calls their harlotry. This is so important, fam, because as you'll notice, Jeremiah wasn't naturally wired that way. Jeremiah was naturally wired to love people. And of course, everybody knows that the priests who serve the people, of course, desired the affirmation of the people that they served. 
prophets generally don't demand that because they're gifted in a different way. And yet Jeremiah, gifted as a, uh, wired as a priest, but called to be a prophet, faces the conflict of what he's wired to desire he's not going to get. He's not going to get. And yet God had to remind Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I called you. He's like, I called you for this moment. I called you for this time to speak to the children of Israel concerning their harlotry. What a, what a, what a symbol, what an image to call it harlotry. And yet that's exactly what this was, fam. Just think about this for a second. Israel has compromised all that Israel is, all that Israel is called to be. God has put his name on them. He said, I will be your God. You'll be my people. So at this point, and we read this already. So this is a journey that we've been reading all the way through. Israel hasn't been the people that God intended them to be. God, who is the executor of righteousness and justice. God, who was making things right in the world. God, who was calling Israel to make things right in the world. Remember, the first mistake that people make is they go to the text and they immediately think about what they should do, not realizing that the text was first written to a people. We need to know those people, know their story, know their context, know their understanding to truly know what God is actually speaking and saying. And then from there, we get to an understanding of what the implications of that are for us. This is how a lot of us fall into reading the Bible wrong. We read the Bible wrong when we immediately look and go, okay, what's this for me? What's this for me? What's this for me? First, we've got to get to what is it, what is it for them? And then the implication of what it was for them, for me, it starts with Israel first. It begins with Israel. This is a story of Israel. This is this is not about you, but it's about Israel. And so anyway, I say all that because I believe it's so critically important, so critically important that when we read this, we see the image of what God is doing to a people that God has already called and that God has put his name on. He says that you are like a potter that even though you are damaged, you're still wet enough that I can shape you and mold you. And the Lord is saying that Israel is not done because Israel is still wet clay. And this wet clay, this, this broken clay, this clay can be reshaped because this clay is still on the wheel. And now God is saying that even though Israel hasn't lived or looked like what I've called Israel to be, I'm still going to fulfill my justice through them because I've got my name on them. This is the thing about the faithfulness of God, family, is that even when we're unfaithful, God remains faithful. Did you hear me, fam? Even when we're unfaithful, I need to remind you of that. Even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. Even when we fall short, God comes through. Even when we don't do, God does. And when we can't, God can. When we find ourselves in the presence of impossible situations, he is the God of the impossible. God is faithful. And it's because of his faithfulness that we're even here. Because if it was up to me, it was if it was up to you, we would all be dead and gone. No one deserves the grace of God. No one deserves any of it. And yet God remains faithful. Why? Because God's promises never return to him void. What keeps us is not our performance. What keeps us is his promise. That's the confidence that we have, is that we have the promise of God. If we don't have the promise of God, none of this matters. That's just a side note. It's a side thing. I just want to make sure you guys hear me on that because that's so critically important. That God is saying, because I have your name on me, if you're still looking crooked, I will continue to shape you. I'll continue to shape you. Verse 9, and in an instant, I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good in which I said I would benefit it. God is saying, as long as you're off, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep working you. I'm going to keep pushing you. Remember, I don't have enough time to break all this down. So I just want to make sure you understand what God is doing. And yet in this moment, these people have not lived the life that God has called them to live. 
These people have lived according to the rules of the world. And because they've lived according to what they've seen in their cultural moment, what they've seen in their cultural time, they did things that were profoundly egregious. Child sacrifice, sexual manipulation, oppression, all of it, Israel became that. It's funny how we see people called by God who look, look nothing like God, and yet God is still saying, Jeremiah, I need you to speak to him. I need you to talk to him. You know, the thing you have to be grateful of when you have a prophet in your life, <laughs> those who speak with a prophetic voice, the fact that you have a prophetic voice that speaks to you things that make you uncomfortable speaks of the love of God. Did you hear me on that? This is so important. You don't like what you're hearing. But when the person comes to you, when a friend comes to you, when a brother in Christ comes to you, when a sister in Christ comes to you, when somebody who loves you comes to you and says to you something that you don't like to hear, be grateful for that. When they come to you to say something to you to correct you, be grateful for that. Because they didn't have to come to you. They got nothing to gain by coming to you. They came to you because they loved you. If your pastor tells you something that you don't like, and you're like, nope, I want to do my thing, be grateful because that person has revealed that they love you. It's the very love for you that makes them come to you. They come to you with nothing, to expect nothing other than to say, hey, listen, I want the best for you. And right now, you're not living the way you ought to live. You're not doing the things that you ought to do. You know, we just don't want to hear from people who don't agree with what we do or with our lifestyle. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Now, I will say this, and, and this is where I'm going to get to because I got to go in a few minutes. Um, Jeremiah brings up something that I think we all need to see today. And if you go back to Jeremiah 17, because notice how all these people are responding. We talked about this already. These people do not like Jeremiah. They want him dead and gone. You know, it's that's the whole thing is, is that if you're so angry that you want a person gone, it really speaks to the matters of your heart. It's another conversation to another, for another day. But now look at what he says here. In Jeremiah 17, he says, he speaks about the, the, the honoring or hallowing the Sabbath. And I found it interesting that he, he asked this because notice what happens here in verse 24. And it shall be, Verse 24 in chapter 17. If you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it, then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. This is one of the weirdest verses in the Old Testament. And I don't have enough time to break this down. This is a whole, that verse right there, that little portion that we just read is a whole Bible study. It's a whole dissertation. And I don't have the time and I'm not afforded the time to do this with you. Okay. However, I do want to point something out to you. I'm going to keep it as simple as I can. Lord, help me. Because everything in me wants to go another 30 minutes to break, down, to break this down. Lord, help me on this. He says to them, honor the Sabbath by taking no burden on the Sabbath day. He's saying, don't carry anything. Don't work on the Sabbath day. Come, don't come into the gates with any burden on the Sabbath day. Stay with me, fam. And 
And if you do that, then what will enter the gates of this city are kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, the throne of David, the covenant of God, the promise of God, the throne of David for which the covenant passes through. There will be kings and princes who sit on this throne, on this authority, on this covenant of God. Kings and princes govern cities. And he's saying the city of Jerusalem will be governed by those who sit on the throne of David. Stay with me, fam, because I don't got it. But I'm going to try to get it so that you can get it in the time that we got. He says, they and their princes accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city, Jerusalem, shall remain forever. This There's so much to unpack here. But what he's saying is, if you choose to... To, to hallow the Sabbath and not carry the burden into the city on the Sabbath day, then the, the covenantal authority and the rule of David will follow and the city of Jerusalem will remain forever. That's interesting. Because he seems very concerned Stop it, Mike. Don't get me started, Mike. He seems very concerned about this Sabbath and this honoring of the Sabbath. Verse 26, And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the lowland, from the mountains, and from the south. It looks like a drawing of people together. Bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying the burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire on its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched. Here's what got me on this. Lord, help me, because there's a lot. They were doing the second, the other stuff. They were bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices. They were doing that. They were bringing grain offerings and incense. They were doing that. They were bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. They were doing that. They were worshiping. They were doing all the, all the religious stuff that makes them Jewish. Well, not Jewish, but Hebrew. All the religious stuff that made them the Israelites and the children of Israel. All the elements of the sacrificial worship. They were doing all of it. This was them. They were doing it. They got it. And yet God is saying that wasn't enough. He said that if they enter into the gates with the burdens on the Sabbath day, they're not hallowing the Sabbath. Two parts to this that I want to unpack and then I'm done. The first part of it is, is the Sabbath seems very important to God. The Sabbath seems like something that's very important to God in this moment for the children of Israel. And it would seem that the Sabbath seems to have taken priority over 
these burnt offerings and these sacrifices. As a matter of fact, it looks like the Sabbath precedes the bringing of burnt offerings and sacrifices and grain offerings and incense. It seems that the Sabbath precedes all of that. Are y'all catching what I'm catching? Because they were doing all those things. They were um, performing all those sacrifices. But he said, you can do all of that. But if you don't heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates. It's one thing to practice religion. It's another thing to serve under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to practice religion. Hear me, fam. It's one thing to practice religion. It's another thing to worship. And often people think that if they go and practice religion, that their practice of a religion is worship. You know, creeds, doctrines, doing these things over and over again, your temple worship, your temple practice, going to church, you know, making sure you do all the things and check off all the religious boxes. We think that doing those things is actually worship. But what you'll learn is, is that worship is not about the practices you perform. Worship is about who you submit to. And as long as you are the ruler of your life, you can practice religion and commit idolatry doing it. You can practice religion and not truly worship because at the end of the day, you are your own God. And unfortunately, too many people today who practice religion are really only serving their own power, their own God, their own selves, their own denomination, their own cult, their own pastor, their own leader, their own people. So we actually aren't worshiping. We're simply following a set of rules that were handed down to us to do simply for the sake of satisfying and satiating our sense of guilt, maybe, or satisfying ourselves to make ourselves think that that's just good enough for heaven. As long as I make sure I do these practices, I'm good enough. I got it. You know what I'm saying? As long as I do that, I'm good enough. Not realizing practicing religion does not make you righteous. And practicing by going to church and doing all those things does not put you in good standing. In this text, Israel is doing all the practicing, the burnt offerings, the sacrifices, the grain offerings, the incense, the sacrifices of praise to the house of God. They're doing all of that. And God is saying, but if you will not heed to hallow the Sabbath day, this is where now I, I, this is, this is the bifurcation of worship and practice. This is where worship and practice separate now because I can practice and do follow all the rules and do everything I got to do to make sure I satisfy my own sense of self-righteousness. Oh my goodness, the church is full of people who think they're good because they're, they're following all the rules in the Bible. The church is full of people who think they're good because they, they, they're doing all the things that the Bible says to do. And so they practice and practice and practice, but at the end of the day, they're not submitted they practice, they practice, they practice, but they're not submitted. And here's the thing. 
Jesus brought light to this in Hosea 6.6. 6, and we'll get to Hosea 6.6 6 when the time comes. But I am breaking some rules and I'm going to keep bringing it back because Jeremiah is pointing something out. He said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God does not care about your burnt offerings. We'll get there when we get to Hosea. The Lord even says, he doesn't care about your burnt offerings. He doesn't care about your sacrifices. He doesn't care about your grain offerings. He doesn't care about your incense. He doesn't care about your praise in the house of God. He doesn't care that you showed up to church on Sunday. God doesn't care that you came to church on Sunday and you've been going to church regularly. God doesn't care that you read your Bible regularly just to make sure you check off the box and you read the verse of the day. God does not care about how good of a person you've been and how much you've been obedient and how much you've done a good thing and how much you're just, man, you're just a good Christian. You're textbook good. God actually doesn't care about that. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. And so many of us have been giving God sacrifice, but at the end of the day, we haven't sought after his grace and his mercy. So actually, all the stuff we're doing is only feeding into our pride. Fam, you know something? You know that a lot of us, we worship God, but we're committing adultery in our quote-unquote worship of God. We're committing idolatry in our worship of God. You know that? You know that a lot of us, our worship is really simply our, our way of glorifying ourselves to make ourselves feel good to make ourselves feel like, man, I'm doing great. I got it together. <sighs> How unfortunate that religious people think if they just follow all the Bible's rules, then they'll be on good standing with God. And yet nothing you do gets you in good standing with God. This is the unfortunate reality, fam. The unfortunate reality is when we look at this text, stay with me, y'all, because I'm done. I'm now, I feel like I'm, I'm full-blown rant, y'all. I'm full-blown rant, but stay with me. By the way, just click that star if you want to subscribe because I'm, I'm looking forward to, to working with you guys. I'm looking forward to connecting with you all. But I want you guys to check this out for a second. Check this out because this is so important. They were good with burnt offerings and sacrifices, second part. They were good with the grain offerings and incense. They were good with the praise because those things I can control. They were good with that because I can just do that. I can just put God in a little corner and silo him, pull him out when I need him. You know, I can do that. I can just, I can just, let me make sure I just go to church on Sunday, get that out of the way. So I can just be me and do my life and run my life and run it the way I want to run it. You see, here's the thing, right, is a lot of people who are living this way, they're not submitted at all. They want to still be in control of their lives, and they want to control God with their rules. Ooh. So many of us want to control God with our rules. We want to control God with our doctrines. We want to control God with, you know, do this and do that. We want to control God with, this is how many times I need to go to church on Sunday. We want to control God with how many times we need to re read our word. We want to control, we want to actually control God. Dictate what makes us righteous. Forget what God says about what makes you righteous. I want to do it my way because at the end of the day, we want to still be our own gods. It's unfortunate that there's a lot of religious people who do a lot of things and still cry, Lord, Lord, and still worship in church and yet do not know God and are not submitted to him because it's not worship. I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes today, but here's the reality. These people were doing all these things, but they were also, notice going back to Jeremiah 18, they were also worshiping idols. They were, they were performing all these rules and, and they were doing everything in the Torah, but they were also worshiping idols. Huh. They were also practicing child sacrifice. They were also practicing all the evil things that the Canaanites were doing. They were cool with coming to the temple and let me make sure I get my church in. But when I step out of the church building, 
Man, listen, it's my world now. God, don't worry, I'll be back on Sunday. God, I'll be back on Sunday, don't worry. And when I come back, I'm going to worship you like crazy. God, I'll be back back on Sunday. And when I come back, I'm going to be reading that word. I'm going to study it. You know what, God? I'll not, not only will I give you Sunday, but I'll give you Monday morning and Tuesday morning. I'll give you 30 minutes with the verse of the day, you know? And then after I knock that out, I'm going to be back doing me. But don't worry, God, I'll be back again in the morning. And I'll make sure I just knock that little thing in there. And then, you know, after that, I'm out. It's all good, God. I got you. And we think that that's worship. Who are you serving, really? Yourself or God? And is God serving you or are you serving him? That's Israel. That's what Israel's been. That's what Israel has done. So now when he says to them, you've done all that, but if you will not enter the gates of the city, And if you, sorry, if you enter the gates of the city with burdens on your back on the Sabbath day, if you can't hallow the Sabbath day, then family, none of that matters. Because get this, work, power, control, that was what governed them in that time. It was what I was doing for me, my work, my hustle, my me. I'm doing me. I want to work hard, do everything I got to do. God, I got you on the side. Whenever, you know, whenever I'm, 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 don't worry, I'm going to sprinkle, sprinkle over to you a little bit of what I do, but let me control myself, control my life, do my thing. And this was the whole purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was actually a submission of worship to say, You know you don't control your destiny. You know that it's God that controls your destiny. You know you don't control how this turns out. You know that you have to be completely submitted to me. You can't put a day aside, Israel. He's talking to Israel now. You can't put a day aside to rest and to let go because you want to know why? You're still your own God. You don't care performing sacrifices, but at the end of the day, you are still your own God. And you still think you're in control and you still think you got this. And because you're doing what's right for you, you are your own God. And because you live your truth and what's your right for you, I have no place with you. And these sacrifices that you give are a waste of your time. How many of us are just like Israel? Today, Jesus is our Sabbath. We don't worship the Sabbath and worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not a necessity for Christians. We did a whole Bible study on Patreon on that. If you want to check it out, go check it out. We did a Bible study to speak on the Sabbath and how Jesus did away with the Sabbath and how Jesus is now the Sabbath. However, if it's fulfilled in Christ, The question then is, if the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, how are you actually living? Are you living under submission to Jesus? Or do you do like all the other church folk? Let me just make sure I follow the rules. And then after that, I'm good. I'm going to be a good Christian on Sunday. You know, at least Sunday morning. And I'm gonna be a good, I'm I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do all the good, good Christian things to do. I'm gonna make sure I can do my little prayer in the morning. You know, I'll even sneak a prayer at night. And maybe I'll pray at lunch right before I eat my food. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. You know, I think I'm do my thing after that because at the end of the day, I am my own boss. Or do we find our rest in Christ? Is he our Sabbath? Are we worshiping him with all of who we are? Or are we submitted to ourselves? Because if we are, guess what? All your church stuff is a waste of time. So today, I want to encourage you to evaluate your life and say, am I here just trying to follow rules? Or am I living a life submitted 
to the Lord of the Sabbath? Like, am I, am I living a submitted life? Not, not a life where, you know, I got, no, a submitted life, a life of, oh man, I need Jesus every day, every breath, everything. I need him. I trust him. I rely on him. I'm nothing without him. I need him. Every hour I need him. Every second I need him. Every minute I need him. Who am I without Jesus? Who are we without Jesus? What can we do without him? We are nothing, nothing without him. When I need help, where do I get it from? It comes from the Lord. When I need shelter, where do I get it from? I find it in him. When I need provision, he is my Jehovah Jireh that provides for me. When I need whatever it is in my life, and when he tells me no, I turn around and go back. I don't even know why, but if God says no, I just trust him. When I live a life in submission to him now, my life is his. I, it's not even about me. God does not want your mind. God wants your life. And a fully submitted life to Christ is one that glorifies him. And get this, when you live a life fully in submission to God, you live a life that is abundant. Because when you live under his submission, his way, the way, it leads to a life eternal. But when you live your way, it leads to destruction. And that's that verse that we read there when he said, man does what is right in his own heart. But in the end, it leads to destruction. Family today, submit your life to Christ. Stop trying to perform. Stop trying to win. There's no winning. It's all submission. There's no winning with God. It's submission. There's no hustling without submission. The more you let go, the more God moves. The weaker you are, that's when his strength is made perfect. Submit to him today. Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today to spend time in your word. Lord, I thank you for each and every person who's here right now. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this way, Lord, that today we would learn and to be aware and to discern what governs us. Is it our desire? Is it our want? Is it our power? Is it our heart? Because if that's what governs us, we know at least a destruction. But Lord, if it is in submission to you, seeking your glory regardless of what transpires, a life that gives up all to you, Lord God, that life, Lord God, that's the life we desire to live. So teach us, Lord, by the help of your spirit today to be that, to do that. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.